I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. And welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 55 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the Constitution's Supremacy Clause. So hopefully I sound different this week. I've got a new toy in the studio, a brand new condenser microphone, and I think it vastly improves the sound quality. So I should sound like more awesomer today than I have in past episodes. So we'll see how it turns out, but I'm pretty pumped about having new toys in the studio. So, And uh, before we get started, I wanted to just to remind you that time is running out to register for the Abbeville Institute's Conference on Nullification that is coming up in Atlanta, Georgia on August 13th. And I will be speaking there along with a number of notable constitutional scholars, historians, and legal experts. And the whole theme will be nullification as a remedy in the 21st century. I'm really excited about this. And if you're in the Atlanta area or can get there, I highly recommend checking this conference out, but time is running out. I think the registration deadline might be August 5th, Uh, but anyway, I'll put a link on the show notes page so that you can go over there and register if you're interested. So before I get into the actual subject, just a quick aside, the Republican Party should be sued for false advertising. It claims to be the party of limited government and the Constitution. Seriously, it's not. One of the most amazing moments for me was watching the party of limited government and the Constitution cheer wildly when Ivanka Trump said, as president, her father would change the laws and focus on making quality child care affordable and accessible for all. Yes, a room full of allegedly limited government constitutional Republicans showed enthusiastic support for an undeniably big government unconstitutional policy. This is a total fail. That is all. So over the last few weeks, I've been talking about oft-abused constitutional clauses. A few weeks back, I covered the General Welfare Clause, and last week I hit on the Necessary and Proper Clause, and I'll link to both of those shows in the show notes. Well, I saved the best for last, the granddaddy of abused constitutional phrases, the Supremacy Clause. Modern politicians and legal experts throw around the supremacy clause like hand grenades in political debates. I'll give you an example. Me. States should take action to stop violations of pick your violation of the Constitution. 
political hack. They can't. Haven't you heard of the supremacy clause? Boom. I'm dead. So they think. Well, as a matter of fact, I have heard of the supremacy clause, and I've read it probably a million times. But I'm not so sure that these politicians, pundits, and legal experts ever have. Here's how these people always quote the clause. You can read any newspaper, listen to, listen to them on the radio. This is how they'll quote it. The Constitution and the laws of the United States and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. So yeah, okay, political hack, but you left out the seven most important words, which shall be made in pursuance thereof. Yeah, that part's kind of important, but they never mention it. Here's how the political hack hears the supremacy clause in his head. This Constitution and any old act Congress decides to pass, or any edict the president passes along with his pen or his phone, shall be the supreme law of the land. These people are absolute federal supremacists, but that's not the meaning of the supremacy clause at all. When you add the words, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, you suddenly realize that the federal government has a very limited supremacy. In other words, the clause describes the supremacy of the states and the people as much as it does the federal government. The simple fact is, only laws made in accordance with the powers delegated to the general government by the Constitution are supreme. Any other federal act is actually no law at all. Alexander Hamilton called unconstitutional acts void in Federalist Number 78. He wrote, There is no position which depends on clearer principles than that every act of a delegated authority, contrary to the tenor of the commission under which it is exercised, is void. No legislative act, therefore, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. Now, keep in mind, this is Alexander Hamilton, probably the most nationalist of all of the founders. He went on to explain the extent of federal supremacy in detail in Federalist Number 33, and this is extremely important to understand. If a number of political societies enter into a larger political society, the laws which the latter may enact, pursuant to the power entrusted to it by its constitution, must necessarily be supreme over those societies and the individuals of whom they are composed. But it will not follow from this doctrine that the acts of the large society, which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residuary authority of the smaller societies, will become the supreme law of the land. These will be merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Hence, we perceive that the clause which declares the supremacy of the laws of the Union, like the one we have just before considered, only declares the truth, which flows immediately and necessarily from the institution of a federal government. It will not, I presume, have escaped observation that it expressly confines this supremacy to the laws made pursuant to the Constitution. So you see, federal supremacy actually occupies a very small amount of real estate in the realm of political authority. Something else fills in the rest of that space. What? Those smaller society Hamilton referenced. The states and the people. That's the whole point of the Tenth Amendment. It makes it clear that all powers not delegated to the federal government remain with the states and the people. So when you flip the supremacy clause around and consider its corollary, it becomes clear that the federal government really isn't ultimately supreme. As much as this particular constitutional clause declares the supremacy of the federal government, it also establishes the supremacy of the state governments and the people themselves. Supremacy that includes every power, every action 
not delegated to the federal government. Now, when you consider the small number of powers actually extended to the feds in the Constitution, it becomes clear that the states and the people were intended to play the lead in America's political drama. The Constitution relegates the federal government to a supporting role, exercising supremacy, yes, but only over those few things it can do in pursuance of the Constitution. As North Carolina's James Iredell put it during the ratification debates, a law, quote, not warranted by the Constitution is a bare-faced usurpation. Thomas Jefferson put it this way, Whensoever the general government assumes undelegated powers, its acts are unauthoritative, void, and of no force. So you see, it's the states and the people that are supreme. The Supremacy Clause says so. And yet, I am constantly subject to these political hacks and these so-called legal experts that every reporter calls when they want to do a story on nullification or, or any effort to rein in federal power. I'm constantly subject to these people beating me over the head with the supremacy clause. You know, they, they say the word supremacy clause, and everybody just bows down and genuflects like it's, like it's some kind of a, a holy writ or something. It's absurd. And I don't understand the mentality here anyway. Why in the world would you want a monopoly government dictating virtually everything for 350 million people? We don't need governopoly. The founding fathers gave us a decentralized system for a reason, because they recognized that centralized authority was the greatest threat to liberty. The federal government is not supreme. Stop acting like it is. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favor and spread the word. And make sure you head over to iTunes and subscribe for free. You're welcome to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10 And again, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.